You're listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here, and I am your host for these proceedings. And here we go with episode 81, and we also begin season four. How about that? So I've managed to bang out 80 episodes over three years, and uh, that's less than I expected, but I think uh, maybe my initial expectations were a bit naive. But uh, you know what's cool? 80 episodes with 52,000 downloads to date. So pretty cool. I'm still having fun doing this, and I'll keep cranking them out whenever I'm home. It's time to give a shout-out to the show's newest patron, and not coincidentally, our guest for the show, Gerald Marker. Thank you so much for your one-time contribution, Gerald. And given that we're now kicking off Season 4, I want to take a little time to mention all of the folks who have contributed to the show via Patreon or one-time contributions in one way or another. Justin Michaels, Jason Jones of HerpMX, Smet Logic, a.k.a. Rob Kreutzer, Ryan Borgman, Joshua Wallace, Jill Riles, Marty Whalen, Most Valuable Herper, Chris Smith, Dr. Emily Taylor, John Burris, Kamel Shapansky, Brandon Kong, Isaac Chalman, Dr. James Van Dyke, Brandon Ballard, Mike Rochford, Joseph Thompson, Dr. Alex Crone, Matt Ratcliffe, Jeroen Spaybrook, Brian Hughes, Brandon Barassa, Josh Holbrook, my favorite co-author, James McGee, Michael Moffat. We'll take a deep breath and then we'll continue with Andy O'Connor, Jake Scott, Deb Crone, Dwayne McDermott, John Sullivan, Josh Ems, Justin Eldon, Matt Cage, Patrick Connolly, Chris McMartin, Michael Cravens, Anna Ware, Tim Werfel, David Burkhart, Adam Cooner, Dr. Bill Peterman, Cynthia Samaki, Paul Eric Bachland, William Bone, Jeremiah Easter, Richard Laguerre, a.k.a. Squeaks, Tom Ellis, Jeremy Schumacher, Neil Jones, Alec Gordon, another breath, and then there's Martin Habaker, Daniel Dye, Clint Hankey, Ross Maynard, Nick Scoble, Moses Michelson, Miles Masterson, Ben Genter, Pearson McGovern, Tom Ellis again, Sal Shabetta, Alicia Ballard, Ben Staganga, Cam Delahose, Dave Weber, J.J. Apodaca, The Urbanic Family, Will McManus, Jason Folt, Lawrence Erickson, Wes Redridge, Christian Diederich, Brad Allen, and Ian Kanda. Last breath and we're in the home stretch. Kim Brown, Andrew Davis, Dick Bartlett, Craig Howard, Sherry Monk, Ian Kanda again, and finally, Gerald Merker. So my apologies for any mispronunciations, or if I left anybody out, uh, pretty sure I didn't, but what can I say? Thank you all of you for supporting the show, and I am more grateful than I can possibly express to you all. I also want to thank all of the folks who I've talked to over the course of three seasons. Easily a hundred or more people, and I will skip reading all those names. You're welcome. But I've enjoyed talking with each and every one of you. 
Okay, so I have a little more show business to take care of. I've got a short little promo from the Orianne Society and the Snake Talk podcast uh, that features Orianne's Long Live Turtles campaign, uh, which runs from now until World Turtle Day on May 23rd, coming up. So have a listen and we'll talk more on the other side. This is Dr. Chris Jenkins, CEO of the Orianne Society and host of the Snake Talk podcast. We are pleased to announce the launch of our new Hudson Berkshire Turtle Conservation Program. Turtles are one of the most endangered groups of animals on the planet, and the Orianne Society aims to reverse this trend by working to conserve Blandings, bog, spotted, and wood turtles in one of the most critical regions in North America. The Hudson Berkshire region of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Massachusetts is the only place in the world where all four of these turtles occur, and their populations and habitats are declining. A generous donor is helping us launch the Hudson Berkshire Turtle Conservation Program by matching the funds we raise during our Long Live the Turtles campaign. If you care about turtles or restoring wildlife habitat, please consider supporting our efforts by donating today and having your conservation investment doubled. The campaign runs until World Turtle Day on May 23rd. Learn more about our program and how you can get involved at www.orianne.org. Okay, thank you, Chris Jenkins. Uh, Chris does a great job with the Snake Talk podcast, and if you've listened to this show, you know that I'm a supporter of the Orianne Society and their conservation efforts. And just to throw out a little challenge, last week I made a donation to the Hudson Berkshire Turtle Conservation Program mentioned in the promo, and I hope you can too. Now let's get to this week's episode. Like a lot of folks, I love herping in West Texas, and I love me some gray banded king snakes, so I was very happy to sit down with Gerald Merker and talk about both of those things. Gerald and his son Walter have a new book out about gray banded king snakes, and well, it's an, actually an updated and expanded edition of an older book, but uh, I have a copy of the new book, and I think it's wonderful. And what better way to kick off Season 4 than a chat with Gerald? Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. And tonight, it's my pleasure to be talking with Gerald Merker. Welcome to the show, Gerald. It's great to be here, Mike. I really appreciate having the opportunity to talk about one of my favorite herbs. <laughs> Indeed, and that's um, why why we're here. And uh, just to sort of set the frame a little bit, um, the the talk is going to center around the gray banded king snake, uh, Lampropeltis alterna, and it's going to center around uh, the book you and your son Walter have uh, uh, written on the subject, and it's now in its second edition. And uh, we're going to talk about the book, and we're going to talk about the snake, and we're going to talk about Texas and all the things that are connected to. Gray banded king snakes. How's that sound? Sounds fantastic. Okay, so uh, I w- I want to, uh, in case uh, folks out there uh, don't know much about you, uh, you you are you live in California in uh, north Northern California, I would say. Yes, I do. Yep. Okay, and you are a retired school teacher. Yes, I am. Thirty five years. That was enough. That was enough. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was. Yes. It was very fun, though. While I laughed at a lot of, you know, I taught science, so I could really actually bring in okay. my interest to the class, which was nice. 
Great. Sounds like you liked it a lot then. I did like it a lot. Yes, I did. Wow. The 35 years is a pretty good run. It was a good run. It really was. Okay. So um, I'm going to talk about the book, obviously, but I also want to figure out well, how did you get your start? Obviously, you're, you're a science teacher, but uh, so you've got some science background, some biology background. How did the, is it a general herp thing for you? Is that uh, how you got started in herps? Um, well, you know, finding snakes um, or? It was one of those things, honestly. Uh, my mom told this story when she, she was alive. She passed away recently, but she would tell the story of her being terrified about snakes, horrified about snakes. And uh, we lived in Los Angeles at the time when it was still, you know, pretty wild. There's some open fields around there. And she went out in her backyard and a gopher snake crossed her foot and she dropped me when I was two years old and went running into the house because she was absolutely terrified by snakes. And uh, she actually looked out the screen door and there I was holding this like two foot gopher snake in my hands. And uh, it's, it's been a passion of mine ever since. I mean, I, I went out wow. when I was a, when I was a young kid, we had a family friend that would take us up to, uh, the San Gabriel mountains and I'd catch, uh, Hamadai, Thamnophis Hamadai, the two-striped garter snake. That was actually the first type of snake that I would see in the wild. And from there, it just took off to other, other species. Wow. So she dropped you and, and left you there. She dropped me and left me. <laughs> wow. It was not her proudest moment, <laughs> according to her no, story. No, but, but yeah. But, you know, this is, this kind of goes back to, you know, people have phobias and fears and those things sort of, yeah. you're not in the driver's seat anymore. So No, you're not. And it was a, it, a neat thing for me to do to pick up that snake and hold it, you know. So. Yeah. What a, what a great story. And yeah. obviously, I, you know, I'm not really uh, judging your mom too harshly because it, you know. I, no, she's I a wonderful after mom. All these I, years, I, I, nobody else does either. <laughs> but Yeah. We, we, we kind of get it. Yeah. But what a story. Okay. Yeah. So that kind of, that was it for you. And so you, you, you were around the LA area and that, uh, that's funny. Cause I, I, uh, spent the first nine years of my life growing up near LA too. So I'm familiar with the gopher snakes and king snakes in the yard thing. Right. So. You know, my father would take me out. Uh, he would kind of, you know, nurture that interest and we'd go out to the desert and, you know, I still remember catching my first, uh, red racer and, uh, I mean, feeling basically my heart leap out of my throat when I saw that snake crossing the road, you know, and I mean, from there, it just, you know, I, it was a, a an everyday thing where I like to go out when I can and, and find these things. And you still enjoy it. I still enjoy it. Yeah, I'm 67 now and I still enjoy it. Yes. Okay. So you and I were, when you, when you were out there uh, getting dropped and hanging on to gopher snakes, I was just about being born. So I'm just a couple yeah. years behind you. So, yeah. Yeah. so interesting. Um, so, and the, how did the, how did the gray banded king snake thing happen? Well, uh, again, I've, I've got to thank my father for that. In uh, the mid seventies, we went to the Gladys Porter zoo. And I remember they had a display with three different varieties of gray banded king snake. I thought, boy, those are really kind of neat looking. And then I remember, seen uh roger conant's book on on uh you know that had a, the new section on texas and he had pictures of three different varieties of the gray banded king snake as well and that's really when it started was probably in the mid 70s when did you make your first trip to texas to look for gray banded king snakes well that was in the late 70s i i i went looking for the the gray banded king snake several times 
without much wow. success. Okay. Ah, okay. Yeah. And uh, after that, uh, did you just keep going out there until you started finding them? Or Yeah, that's basically what happened. I mean, uh, you know, uh, on our honeymoon, my wife and I were just driving the roads in, you know, around uh, Terlingua. And I remember seeing a fan belt and I looked at the fan belt and it looked like it moved in a serpentine motion. I thought, oh, that looked like a snake. So I get out and I shine a light on there and I said, boy, it looks like a lepidus because it was an alternomorph. And then I go down to the tail and it didn't have a rattle. And that's actually the first time I saw one in the field. Wow. That's very exciting. It was very exciting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I have to come in here with um, my own experience. Uh, I am I am over five, looking for gray banded king snakes. So, you're not alone. You're in good company. I mean, there's I've been been many a year where I haven't found one as well. So you're you're in good company. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm hope I'm hoping that one of these one of these years I'll 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 get one. Uh, but uh, yeah. Um, I didn't. I didn't go out there until uh, like '96 or '97 for my first trip. But uh, I can remember, you know, as a kid going to the uh, St. Louis Herp Society. They had their meetings at the zoo, and there were a couple guys there who would go out to Texas every year and look for gray banded king snakes. You know, and they would have fancy lights on their top of their trucks and things like that. And they would um, come back and tell us stories about the lines of cars out there, you know, all, everybody trying to road cruise down the same road or, you know, things like that. So, uh, it's been a kind of a popular thing for quite a while now. It's similar now, Mike, to be honest with you, except instead of cars driving, it's people walking with, uh, spotlights and vests and all that kind of stuff, walking the cuts. Cause that's the, really the legal yeah. way to do it nowadays in Texas. Yeah. Uh, that's something we should touch on too. You can't, you can't road cruise for gray banded king snakes. No, you or cannot. Or any other snakes. Yeah, you cannot. Texas, you can't, right. can't do that. You need to get out and, and walk. And I've, I've done a lot yeah. of walking. <laughs> a lot of walking in the last <laughs> 20 years, you know. <laughs> and I think the state also requires you to wear like a reflective vest. and. Yeah, for safety. You know, it's for safety so people can see you from far away and hopefully avoid you. There's never, not been any accidents that I know of, of people being hit by automobiles when they're looking for Alterna or other snakes. So probably large oh, particles good. of the vests. Yeah, it is good. Yeah. And then you also have to, you have to purchase a license. You can't just drive out there and start looking for them. You need a, I think a, a hunting or a fishing license. Yeah. Now the state yeah. hunting license, it's about $125 if memory serves me correctly. Yeah. So per Oof. year. Yeah. 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 It's gone up quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, I think I paid 35 for one back in the nineties for my first one. That could one. be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's gone up quite a bit. Uh, but which, you know, I understand the need for that. So I don't want to complain too much. Um, so you've gone out, you go out there and you find one in your honeymoon and, um, that you, did you start just, uh, are you interested in, uh, Finding more? Are you interested in starting to uh, do captive propagation with them? What yeah, that's, you know, then I, I ended up going back home and purchasing some, you know, from uh, East Bay Vivarium, a store up in uh, the Bay Area. And I bought a pair there, and that's the ones that I started breeding back in the early 80s. Those were the ones that I first started okay. breeding. And then in 1987, Texas made it so that it was legal with a hunting license to 
Clackery ban in King Snakes again, because from I believe uh, the mid seventies to nineteen eighty six or so, it, it was illegal to collect those. So uh, oh. back in eighty seven, they made it legal, and that's when you really saw the uh, again another boon of people coming out and uh, looking for those and seeing all the fancy lights. I mean, it was amazing how people would would you know set up their cars with lights underneath that would light up the cuts and all that kind of stuff. That's when it became legal again to do it. Yeah. Okay. And so this, it, it's also kind of a little culture. It is of, a little culture. Of hunters. Yeah. You are uh, <laughs> hitting several topics in my book, <laughs> in our book. <laughs> and I appreciate that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. One of which um, is the al- alternate culture. It was actually in both books, modified slightly in the, in the uh, second edition, but uh, Dr. Harry Green actually came up with that idea for us. He said, you know, it might be kind of interesting to, to write about the alternate culture, you know, and, and it really, it's just amazing how, how things have progressed over the years, uh, looking for these things, you know, uh, the equipment's gotten better, uh, the, uh, weather channels gotten better, better. And those are both uh, tools that are, uh, heavily relied on, uh, by, by herpers looking for these. Yeah, I remember, you know, going out there in the 90s and trying to get an idea what the weather was going to be like. And maybe you could get an update at a hotel or, and you know, with, you know, no smartphones, no, no. Uh, reliable internet anywhere out there. So yeah. you just kind of paid your money and took your chances. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. We just uh, used to roll down the window and stick our arms out and say, oh, it feels good. That's about as close as we could get, to, <laughs> yeah. you know. <laughs> Feels like it might rain. Be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I remember too, the, uh, you know, in the nineties too, we started, people started talking about, uh, gray banded king snakes on the internet, uh, kingsnake.com and things exactly, like that. And, yeah, uh, yeah. uh, guys like John Hollister would post these wonderful travel logs about West Texas. And it just sort of became a, a romantic destination for, People that are interested in finding gray bands and other other snakes, obviously. That's that's totally one hundred percent correct. You know, it's <laughs> really it's really. I mean, for people that, and I would have to say I'm addicted to it. Uh, you know, there's nothing like uh, a nice summer rain or early summer rain in West Texas <laughs> to get the juices flowing. You know. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And uh, my first trip out there, it, it the rains were really good. Uh, and, uh, we, we, we didn't, well, I didn't find a gray band, but we found lots of other things as well. Lots of snakes on the road and lots of amphibians on the road. Yeah. Some years it's like that. It really is. Other years it's very sparse, you know, it's, if it's dry, you're usually pretty much sunk, you know? I mean, it's just, uh, unless it's the breeding season, then you might have a chance of finding an alternate. Yeah. So you started, uh, you started uh, captive uh, breeding them and then uh, making f- f- further trips out there and, and sort of, uh, I guess, maybe you were figuring out more more things about gray banded king snakes and uh, the various morphs and where you can yeah. find different color patterns and things like yeah, that. Yeah, and I started collecting some and, you know, finding them on the same cut and then using those to, to you know, propagate. So I basically you know, started doing locale breeding, uh, back in like the nineties or so, you know, I, I would work with East Sanderson's. I worked with uh, West, uh, excuse me, East, uh, Langtree work with, uh, West Langtree. I, you know, and, and I had some from the Christmas mountains also. And then I also had some from Sanderson 
that I would locality uh, match for breeding. And I okay. haven't stopped. I mean, uh, you know, I don't, I don't do any uh, generics anymore. I just, I try to get them from, you know, within the same locale, within a mile, you know, of each other and, and breed those and then keep the, the offspring. I see. I have, uh, I have bred uh, Alterna in the past. Uh, in fact, um, it was, uh, I got way too busy traveling to, to work with snakes and other animals uh, to any degree. So those are the, the la my last holdouts. Um, uh, but uh, probably my most favorite snake I've ever worked with, just in terms of you never know what's coming out of the egg and they're just, everyone's beautiful and <laughs> you know, I, um, I, that's, I firmly believe that as well. I, there's, there's no such thing as an ugly gray band. There will be, be people that tell you that there are, but I don't think there are. <laughs> so it, one of the things that for, if we're, um, our listeners out there who are in Australia or New Zealand or, uh, Maine or something, and don't really know much about gray banded king snakes, the, the original, Gray banded king snake, I believe, was uh, is the all is Lampropeltis alterna, which is the pattern and morph that kind of is uh, a mimic of the rock rattlesnake. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And at some point in the past, the Lampropeltis blairi uh, was a thing because they thought there was this other uh, similar snake with you know large, larger, usually orange bands. Yeah, and so that thing because back then we named things by how they looked, and so that we came up with uh, Lampropeltis blairi. Yeah, and they they were considered separate species, and until somebody I think maybe produced a clutch of eggs where well they actually caught a wild caught gravid female, and and she produced um, alternomorphs and blairi morphs in the same clutch, and then they realized ah, that something okay. else was going on. Yeah, I figured it was something along those lines. So, and and that's a, a story that's happened a couple times. I think in uh, North with North American snakes, like think of the uh, uh, California king snake comes to mind with the banded right. and striped morphs. So, yeah, yeah. So, so at some point, what uh, I have here next to me, a copy of your your newest, your second edition of the Gray Band King Snake book, which is published by uh, Eco Publishing. Uh, put out a number of really fine books, and uh, when did the when did you decide that you wanted to maybe work on a book about this animal? That was in the early two thousands, you know. And uh, I, you know, my sons, I have three sons, and I started going out with the whole family to look for these things. And uh, a couple of them had an interest in 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 biology. My two older boys and. And my oldest son really had an interest, and we decided in 2005 uh, it might be kind of cool to write a book on on gray banded king snakes, and uh, you know take pictures of their habitat and take pictures of the various patterns, uh, and then you know have the habitat right next to the images of the of the actual animals. So we started working on that in like 2004 and 2005, and at the same time I was working on a book called Zanata with uh, uh, Mitch Molks. I was the chief photographer on that. And I met Mitch's younger brother, Luke, who was 22 at the time. And I kind of proposed to him, I said, how would you feel about doing a book like you did, like we did for Zanata uh, on Gray Band and King Snakes? And he was all in. And so he uh, was actually the person that had the machine in place for us to make that, that, that first book back in 2005. Okay. 
Wow. I don't have a copy of, of your the first edition, so I, I don't have one in here to compare, but what's the difference between the two editions? Well, um, that's a really good question. The first edition, we had 12 locales uh, uh. of Ray King Saint. In the second edition, we more than doubled that up to 27 different locales. And uh, the second edition has basically only two pictures or three pictures from the first edition. All the other pictures are brand new and and the, and the second edition is about two and a half times the length of the first edition. We also decided to, um, because we were both herpetoculturists, my son and I, we decided to include information on captive care, captive propagation of these animals. And since my son is a veterinarian, we decided to add a little section on, on medical uh, concerns with, with, with the animal and a little bit on parasites and that kind of thing. So we've added a whole bunch of new information in the new book. We've actually doubled the text as well. The first book is only about 80 pages, and the second book is almost 200 pages. Okay. Uh, you know, I actually tr <laughs> I talked to you several months ago about uh, coming on the show, and thought, well, I'll, maybe I'll see if I could find a copy of the first edition. Those are kind of hard to come by. They're very hard to come by. Um, we only printed 3,000 of them to start out with. And on the, uh, the trip from Singapore, uh, there was water damage to about a uh, – a fifth of them. <laughs> so we ended up with oh 2,400 copies. And uh, yeah, they're, they're pretty much sold out right now. I have a couple of copies. I should, I should send you one. Uh, after the show, why don't you give me your address? I'll, I'll send you a, a, a copy that I've got so you have both copies. Oh, wow. Thank you. That, that's yeah. very nice. Very generous of you. Thank you so much. Um, but I have to say, I am impressed by this, this uh, uh, new book, not just because it's full of fantastic pictures of gray banded king snakes, but uh, as you say, the, you have the king snake photos, and then you have uh, some of the habitat uh, look, photos of the locations, uh, and so you get an idea of what kind of habitat these things are, are live in. Also, you know, it's people are listening are like, "What do you mean? Is he giving a is is he giving away a bunch of spots?" Uh, <laughs> but it's it's really not like that, is it? You're 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 sort of covering. It's You're the covering some vague in, locations. Yeah, in very broad terms, you'll see habitat. You know, am I giving away spots? I'm giving away places you might be able to look and might have some luck, yes. But, you know, exactly where uh, animals have been found, I, I really very rarely have depicted those pictures, unless it's a close-up where, where people can cannot really figure out where, the, where it is. Um, yeah. So I, I look at this book as it's very helpful if you want to go find the Great Band of Kingsnake, but... It is certainly not your ticket to a great band of kings. No, it isn't. It isn't. <laughs> Believe me, <laughs> it isn't. And what I also like about uh, when I look through this book, each location you you have pictures of the snakes, and there is also a section that, that shows different, like a head headshots from a number of locations with the snake. So you can do all these comparisons of of the animals and just a close up of the head and and so on and so forth. But uh, in your mind, um, and you've you talk about you know you work with animals from you know the same spot in terms of your you know your breeding efforts and stuff. But in your mind, do these things sort of for animals from one location pretty much look have a similar look or similar pattern or band count or things like that? Not necessarily. I mean, you can have just incredible variability in the same exact area. For example, in the Christmas mountains, you can get 
ones that are just black and bright orange, you know, to specimens that are like a typical alternomorph with no red on it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's really hard to pinpoint exactly the locale that you're at. You know, maybe Langtree, you have a better chance of saying that's a Langtree animal for 100%. Although there are specimens caught on black gap that look like a typical Langtree animal or specimens in Sanderson that look like a typical Langtree animal. Okay. For, again, for my listeners overseas, we're talking about a slice of West Texas. Uh, <laughs> around the Big Bend region, um, that uh, this a snake that uh, doesn't have a very—I wouldn't call it a wide range across Texas, but it, it's kind of got a deep range. It goes fairly deep into Mexico, but yeah, it does. you know we're talking what uh, I don't know how many hundreds of miles wide range in Texas. Well, it's a Trans-Pecos region, basically. You know, if, yeah. I mean, you can catch them in El Paso all the way over to Del Rio. And that takes you, you know, it's 600, 700 miles, I think, you know, maybe not quite yeah. that far, but, okay, you know, it, it, there, you know, it's got a pretty extensive range. I'd say at least 20% of West, you know, of Texas is great potential okay. great king snake habitat. Potential. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have looked for them <laughs> in a number of spots there. I looked for them around uh, Langtree and uh, Terlingua. And I've also been over, uh, I like the Juno Road area a lot in terms of just her- herping and over that the pit mm-hmm. on the uh, the river there, and I also liked uh, looking for them over further um, to the west over you know and what is it Jeff Davis County over there. So uh, each each it's all I guess the same Chihuahuan Desert habitat, uh, but there's some variations in uh, across the range in terms of. Geology and yeah, uh, and elevation, plant, plant you know, communities, plant communities. Yeah, definitely. You know, some are you know some are typical Chihuahuan desert, and others are montane. You know, or mountain. Yeah, habitat like in the uh, Davis uh, Mountains, obviously. So, yeah, and it's it, you also make uh, some comparisons of the plant communities in the book too, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, as well, and other other animals that can be found out there because obviously. Uh, uh, even if you're, uh, even if your quest is for a gray banded king snake, you could also find some other cool snakes like a oh, yeah, that, rat snake or. Yeah. There's all sorts of interesting things you can see in, in, in West Texas, interesting plants and interesting animals, not just the snakes, but inverts and mammals and birds, a lot of yeah. really, really cool things to see. And the scenery is pretty, pretty awesome too. I agree. Um, if you haven't been to Big Bend Park, folks, stay, uh, the national park, go there. That's that's fabulous. I like to like to take a geologist there. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah just definitely. to kind of explain to me what's going on because it seems like there's um, many many things going on in that park geologically. Uh, no two no two areas are the same. Seems like there's no. a lot going on there. It's a very um, nice park because there's not a lot of people there always. It's pretty you know it's pretty. Uh, Unvisited for uh, you know, especially at the time of year that we're there, when it's so hot. So yeah, kind of yeah. Well, very nice. Well, there's no geysers and no grizzlies, so right. <laughs> Just mountain lions and bear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the occasional king snake. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mm. So the second book, you uh, when when did you decide to update and uh, expand this? Was that a recent? Probably idea? a day after the first book came out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so 
Yeah, I mean, and but we started working on it in earnest in, you know, like about 2018. Okay. You know, doing new habitat shots and getting different animal photographs and coming up with some additional text that we wanted to do. Okay. And of course, at, by that time, um, you know, we have nice digital cameras and and uh, the the printing uh, printing process is much better. So you can, um, you know, take good pictures and have good pictures uh, in a nice printed book. So, uh, And the technology which, is there so we could even use sometimes cell phone pictures, honestly. You know, the cell phone pictures oh, are good okay. enough to put in the book as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we changed the orientation from the first book. The first book was what's called Landscape. And then the second, the second book is in Portrait. So the first book was kind of in a horizontal orientation. So it was kind of hard to stick uh -huh. in the bookshelves. And we went to uh, an up and down orientation like most typical books are. So it would fit in the bookshelves easier. And I mean, we started doing that with that Rosie Bull book that we wrote back in 2011. We changed the orientation. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> is uh, the Rosie Bow is, is that, was that? a similar interest to you as the gray band it was yeah and i i teamed up with uh my my friends uh randy limberg and bob montoya and we actually were sitting at a show and we decided you know we should do a, a rosie boa book and uh originally i had laid it out with uh, luke Moltz again helped who helped on the first alternate book and we laid it out in the landscape orientation and then randy and i were just looking at books and we decided you know maybe we need to change the orientation to a portrait where it's up and down and fits into bookshelves a little easier. So that's what we ended up doing. Nah, that's kind of an important thing too. I have a couple books like that. Yeah. And they kind of, they kind of stick out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's kind of little kind things of you think about, you know, that you don't really think about, but it's true. The first time around. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, now, and, and I noticed you've gotten some help for some, from some friends in terms of, uh, Oh, some locality, images of locality. Oh, I, and not only images, but writing and layout. I mean, I, you know, I, I had wonderful people helping with all aspects of, of the, the new ocean. You know, I, I mean, uh, my mother-in-law, she, she was actually my first editor. And then, uh, you oh. know, Bob Hansen edited uh, the whole, the whole text. He spent days on it and did a great job for us. As you know, from the interview, he's uh, the editor of uh, Herp Review. And uh, yes. the, the, the the past editor of her preview, and then yeah. uh, Jerry Salmon actually uh, checked over the book very carefully after it was all laid out by Russ Gurley, who did a good job for us laying it out too. So okay, I got all sorts of people helping me. Yeah, and then good. some great photographers too that that submitted photographs for us to use. Yeah, and I just you know I, I picked up the book yet again. Um, about an hour before we got started here and just went back through it again and just struck by not only the qu the quality of the photographs, but it's just a great subject. It's hard to take a bad picture. Oh, yeah. Of that's great definitely band of King's name. very true. Yeah, I agree. They're very photogenic. Yeah, they are. With those big eyes and the big head and, you know, yeah, they're very photogenic and the beautiful yeah. pattern. <laughs> Do you have a favorite? I mean, uh, do you like the Alterna phase or do you like the Blair Eye phase or what's? Uh, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, there's some Alternas that I think you can't beat those. And I have Blair Eye. I look at those and I think, man, you can't beat that animal. Uh, you know, a nice light phase Blair's with a broad orange. It's stunning. But 
there are alternatives that are equally, in my opinion, as stunning, you know, even though they don't have any mm-hmm. red on them. Yeah. That's a little more subtle. They're a little yeah. more, their beauty okay. is more subtle. Let's say uh, that's a good way to look yeah. at it. I agree. I like the, uh, the ones from, uh, near, I, I hope I say it right. Ira Ann, Texas. Ira Ann. Yeah. That's Ira Ann, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like the, the snakes in the book from that area. The gray color coloration is very, very nice. And I also like the ones from over on the Western side of the range from the Hueco. Yeah. The Hueco mountains. Those are nice too. Those are very beautiful animals. Yeah. So this is, uh, this animal, you've left your home and traveled east to Texas many, many times in search of these things. It's sort of a, a questing thing for you and for so many other people. Um, and uh, in the field herping community, it, it is uh, one of the, one of the what do we call them, uh, one of the principal quests that people, snakes that people would really want to see and are willing to spend some time. Uh, but they're not easy because they're kind of a secret animal. Uh, they, they don't. They don't spend a lot of time above the surface, do they? No, they don't. Absolutely correct. There's all sorts of limestone cracks and crevices that they can travel through where they don't need to expose themselves up to the surface. It's very rare that they're up in the in the surface crawling around. So, in terms of you know, when people find them, they find them in places where it's easy to spot them, but obviously they are living in other places. You know, people walk along road road cuts and obviously people still see them on roads, but, uh, you know, they're back in, uh, you know, deep canyons and uh, cracks and crevices that are far from any road as well. So I imagine there's a fairly good population of these secretive snakes. You know, I would say, in all the years that I've been looking for them, I've, I've, and I've done a lot of working, uh, walking in, uh, away from the roads, you know, on, on actual natural habitat. And I've only ever seen away from the road, maybe four, uh, in, in the field. The rest have all been walked either on road cuts or on, on areas between two road cuts I see. next to the road, okay. you know, so. But uh, the, the majority of, of the animals that I've seen walking have all been either on a rock face or on the ground in front of a rock face. That's been man, mm. cut by man. And, of course, we're talking about snakes that are active at night, too. They're, they're not – do people find them during the day in any degree? Very, very rarely. I've never seen one when it was totally light. But there have been some documented uh, cases where people have. Uh, but I've okay. I've only found them after dark for the most part. And I'm wondering, um, I'm wondering how the the type specimen was found. Well, I I believe it was uh, a soldier up in Fort Davis that found that in the Davis Mountains, walking around at night. I believe around the fort is where I think he found it. Huh. Wow. Yeah. And then the Blair Eye morph was found. Uh, by uh, what well, was documented by Flurry, but they, they found it uh, about eight miles uh, west of uh, Dryden, between Dryden and Sanderson. Uh, the type locale is a middle canyon. I think believe it's Sanderson Canyon uh, found between Dryden and, and, and Sanderson. And they found that one on the road in the late 40s. Late 40s. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Were the roads even paved? It must have been one or two paved roads out there. Yeah, the two-lane paved road, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Highway 90. So, Wow. It's it's kind of interesting. And 
at night, the uh, sun goes down and these things come up and they start hunting for lizards and, um, and rodents, I suppose. And um, mates, you know, the males usually. And mates. Yeah. Yeah. yeah are out cruising for, for females at, in, in June, you know, during the breeding season. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, when people, what months of the year people find these things, do they, is it across the summer when obviously these things have to come out and hunt that do they estivate when it's really hot and dry? They estivate. Yeah. They're they're not surface active when it's hot and dry. It takes a a good amount of rain to get these things to be surface active in the summer. During the breeding season, you know, I've had years where it's been dry, but we still find them because it's lone males out looking for a female. But, you know, later on in the summer, it's, it's usually dictated by, by rainfall. Hmm. Okay. Um, again, the mis- the mystique around these animals, uh, it, it drives people to come out there. You can't hunt them from the road now. And that's probably, uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but it's, it's sort of what's happened out there because of there's so many people coming out to look for these things, I think is partially responsible for that. Um, but I, I think people that want to find them are kind of, uh, between a rock and a hard place because you, you, you can't really road cruise for them without, well, you can, but you'll get a, you know, if your uh game warden finds you, you're going to get a ticket and, but you can't really wander around West Texas. It's a, most of it's private land. So you have sort of this narrow strip between. There's the an easement. Yeah. There's, land. there is an easement on, on paved roads and that's the area that you, that you hunt. You know, and I mean, basically any road cut, there's potential for, for finding one, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen some really homely road cuts where you can find them <laughs> where they're somewhat <laughs> abundant. And then I found other road cuts that look, man, this looks really good in terms of vegetation and there's lizards and rodents and all sorts of stuff scattering across the cut. And I've yet to find them on those cuts. So hmm. it just depends. Are there places that you have haven't found them that you that you feel like they should be there, but you just haven't found one yet? Uh, well, Iran would be one of those places, <laughs> to be honest okay. with you. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I have a tough time in Juno too. I've I found five in Juno, but that's for a lot of looking. I mean, um, you know, probably probably fifty nights on Juno to to find those five animals. And honestly, I just had two nights. I found. Uh, three in one night and, and, and one in another. And then actually I found a DOR. That's the the fifth one that I found, but the area that is just horrible for me and people sometimes have good luck is, is the the black gap uh, area, that area. I've, I've spent many nights there with, with zero luck. Black gap is that that's down in the, near the, near the park, right? Near the park. It's east of the park. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's It's a game game range, but, you can legally hunt the roadway. Okay. So that's the area where you're, you're not doing as well for some, right. from, for some reason, who knows? For some reason. <laughs> yeah. I just haven't been lucky. Man. So without, I mean, without giving people, you know, there's no need to give away locations or anything, but if somebody's coming out there for the first time or somebody who's O and five is coming back out there, what do you, do you think they should stay in one place or should they try multiple places? What do you think is a, a good strategy? You are, you are asking the wrong person. I have done both <laughs> strategies. 
with horrible <laughs> luck, you know, because I was told you spend two weeks in Langtree, you'll find one. Well, I happened to spend two weeks, two summers in a row and didn't find one. <laughs> so, oh. and then other times one night, yeah, yeah. If the magic is on for whatever reason, you find them. I mean, I I've done both strategies. I mean, I've been chasing rainbows for the last almost 50 years in West Texas. And, uh, sometimes it, it <laughs> usually it doesn't pan out in my life. I've seen 77 that includes alive and dead. And that's, that's for a lot of 77, living. 77. Yeah. Wow. 14 DOR and how many years alive in well, since, uh, since 75. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now there's a lot of other people that have better luck. John Hollister has caught in the two hundreds, you know, he's, he's been amazed, but he's lived out there, you know, even more than, than I have. He's been out there in many more years than, than I've been out there, but he has had really good luck finding those. Wow. Okay. I'm still awestruck by, by your total. That's, that's amazing. Considering that you have to drive a fair piece. I assume you drive, do you drive out there or do you fly out? Or I drive out there. Usually I drive out there. I usually go there, you know, when I was teaching, uh, you know, I would, if, if we had rain days to make up rain, uh, you know, or snow days from the school, I would just use my sick leave and just leave the next day. I, that was how amped I was to get out there. I didn't care about the moon phase. I didn't care about, you know, uh, weather conditions. I just wanted to get out there as soon as school was over. So I did a lot of that. <laughs> I did a lot of that, a lot of gotcha. rolling down the window and sticking out my arm and say, that feels good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, it's interesting you brought up the moon phase thing because, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, ah, don't bother if it, the moon is, the moon is out, the moon is full, don't bother, or the moon is half full or whatever. Uh, I, I really don't have any idea what kind of bearing the moon brings on things. What, what are your well, thoughts I, on I that? I don't either. I, I know in the Southern California deserts, it seems to really affect, uh, snake activity, but I, I don't know about Texas. I know I've been there out on full moons and seen things and I've been out there on full moons and seen nothing. You know, it just, it just all depends on some other factors, you know, moisture, barometric pressure, wind, temperature, all those things, you know, play a role in determining whether they're going to come up to the surface. And again, the breeding yeah. season, when is the breeding season? When are they out looking, when are they out looking for, for mates? Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I found uh, three Baird's rat snakes in about 15 minutes out there, my second trip and the moon was pretty full. It's always so, exciting, an exciting find. It's a beard rat snake. I yeah. mean, it's a cool snake to see in the field. I, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think those are kind of underrated. And uh, that was that was a fantastic night, and I haven't seen one since. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the way it goes. So, so if you can't tell, I'm kind of anxious to get back out and maybe try, uh, try again uh, for the. For the gray band, but then again, you know, there's so many other cool things to see out there, like you say. Uh, I really enjoy the um, uh, the Texas black uh, blacktail rattlesnakes, and uh, oh yeah, they're they're uh, they're very cool. Yeah, yeah, always good to see those. So, uh, and of course, porcupines and whatever else is crossing the road. It's always interesting. Armadillos so. are always neat to see, and you know, because I don't <laughs> see them out in California. I don't know if you see them back where you live. I don't think so, but. Um, I don't have them in my county yet, but they're they're steadily marching north. They're in they're in yeah. my state, so yeah, they're in the bottom, oh, that's cool. The bottom third of my state, Illinois. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, eventually, I may have them up here. I don't know, but we'll see. At any rate, um, 
you know, I they got the people that swear by the moon or you know, no moon, some moon, um, before the moon rise, that kind of thing. I really can't make heads or tails of it. But the other thing that people always talk about is wind. And if it's a real windy day uh, or windy night, that uh, that may have some effect on that too. You ever hear anything about that's that? That's what I've heard too. And I've had, I mean, honestly, I've caught them on really windy nights and I've caught them on still nights. I mean, uh, you know, I, 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 I take careful notes on all the ones that I find. I mean, I've got, you know, like uh-huh. I said, you know, 40 or so years of notes on, on, on all snakes. And I, that's one thing that I always write down on, on windy, on, you know, if it's windy or what's going on with what direction the wind is coming in and that all, you know, some people think that plays a role in it. I, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you, but I have caught them when there's no wind, you know, but okay. uh, the wind does seem to help, honestly. It seems to help. Well, I'll tell you why, because uh, if you're wearing a headlight out there on a windless night, you're going to get inundated, especially if it's humid. That humid with a, a bunch of uh, flying invertebrates and the wind helps keeping oh. those away. <laughs> so it makes it a lot more comfortable okay. to go out looking for them. Good point. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, this, the, the wind controversy, I, I used to pay more attention to it when it, uh, till the first time I went out and herped in uh, central Kansas. And uh, the first couple of days we were there, the wind was blowing about 40 miles an hour day and night. It just blew. And we found snake after snake after snake, and out in the open, they didn't care. They didn't care about wind. It didn't really matter to them because it's always windy out there. So yeah, yeah. Well, I found a lot of snakes on windy days. I I, I have as well. Yeah, you know. I mean, uh, I prefer to have it a, a nice nice wind. To be honest with you, it just makes things more comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so how many how many you you go every year? I've gone every year except for maybe let's say since eighty three I've gone every year except for uh maybe four years. So in the last forty years Holy it might cow. have been four years I didn't go. Yeah, it's 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 very sad. I mean uh I am uh, addicted to looking for to these things. Um if you if you are uh herping with me and you want to know the time you look at my clock and uh, and my clock is actually set to what I call alternate time. I've added a minute for every alternate that I found. So it's pretty far ahead. That's how <laughs> obsessed I am with things. <laughs> yeah. It drives people nuts. You know, well, if you keep finding enough of them, eventually you'll be herping in. It'll be herping tomorrow instead of today. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So oh people, it drives people nuts, you know. I mean, I've been sometimes referred to as the, the anal retentive uh, herper <laughs> <laughs> for other, other quirky things like that. Well, you know, 77, 77 live snakes is, you know. No, it's, no, no, 63 live, 14 dead. <laughs> oh. oh, okay, 63 yeah, live. Okay, I'm still. Too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, even so. Uh, you can't argue with with that kind of success. Um, and uh, when you're out there, uh, one of the cool things I liked about herping out there is, you know, you're out there and you're cruising along. Maybe you find stuff, maybe you don't. But there's always a few other people out there uh, road cruising. And sometimes you'll stop and maybe chat for a little bit and see what the uh, what the other people are are seeing in there, you know, having any luck, that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and it gives you a chance to see uh, maybe it's somebody you already know, but maybe it's somebody you've only met on the internet. Who knows? But uh, I always kind of like that element of it. Unfortunately, in recent years, that that has kind of decreased. People are little, keeping it a little bit closer to the vest, you know. I mean, when the internet first came out, people would almost immediately post what they would find. And then what would end up happening, if they wanted to go back there the next night, they'd find the place that they had caught their animal inundated with other other herpers looking for them, looking for a great band of king scent. Ah, so that's okay. kind of, people are starting to keep it a little closer to the vest nowadays when they make a big find and maybe just do, you know, like your, your stovepipe, uh, 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 report, in, you know, in the dead of winter. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Found. Yeah. Hot stove herping. Hot yeah. stove, yeah. Hot stove herping, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I haven't done one of those in a while, but yeah, those are those are fun. And yeah, that t- kind of takes the uh, the instant pressure off anything. Right. it's the dead of winter and there's nothing but snow snakes out, so. Exactly. You uh. know, so. Uh. <laughs> Interesting. Do you, do you feel like, um, Obviously, these these are very cool animals uh, to see in a while. They're also they're also a nice snake in captivity, and they, they you can make a beautiful vivarium for them, and the magnificent display animal. And uh, but do you think people do you think a lot of people want to bring one back, or do you think people just want to see one? How you know? Is I've there a ratio people, there? I, there is a ratio there. I would say. You know, most people want to bring them back, but I've met quite a few people that just want to see one in the wild, you know, and, and I remember I, uh, a friend of mine that, that worked, uh, co-worked with my son at the, at the vet hospital in Tucson, she was just dying to see one. And, uh, you know, I told her, well, look at the Western cuts of, of, uh, Sanderson. Sure enough, she found one and she turned it loose much to the chagrin of about 20 people back in Sanderson that. <laughs> would have taken it, kindly taken it off her hands. So, yeah, I would say there are, you know, a lot of people that just want to see one in the wild. Yeah. Um, I remember when my buddy Rob Kreutzer, Rob and Nick Kreutzer got one. Um, and I can't remember where, but it, they also video t- took some video when they left, when they let it loose. And, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've all done those <laughs> When that videos, got posted. Yeah, yeah. 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 The you know the letting him loose video and and then uh, boy some people were really upset yeah uh, that he, he just let it loose so like well, no it's funny I mean yeah. uh, there was a certain one a certain specimen on the cut of Wes Sanderson one of the close cuts to town that uh, I think it's it's pictured in the book that several people had caught it over the years and uh, I I believe it was one that didn't eat for one group so they turned it loose and then a couple of years later another group caught it and then or saw it and didn't actually catch it. And then another person caught it, you know? So I, I, I mean, that, that happens all the time too. I mean, uh, uh, you know, that people just don't, don't find it. And then, uh, another group comes by a little later on and, and finds the same animal. Huh. That's interesting. I've actually had that happen with, uh, some fox snakes here in Illinois, where I, I caught one with an odd pattern and took a photo of it. And then, Posted it online, and then uh, one of my buddies, I think it's Matt Ignafo, posted and said, "Hey, I caught that snake last year." Yeah, that's and, that's uh, kind of cool. Showed a photo of the same snake. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, that's very cool. I've you know I've I've done that with mountain kings here around this area. You know, I've got my my pets that I can see year in year out, or used to be able to see year in year out. But uh, 
So do you um, you have your big pilgrimages, obviously, to West Texas, so you do some local herping for oh, yeah, Mountain yeah. Kings and other cool yeah. things, too. Yeah, definitely. You know, I look for, you know, I, I, I start off in the flats in February looking for, uh, you know, garter snakes or gopher snakes or cow kings, and then I work my way up to uh, the higher elevations in this year. I was looking for, you know, Zanata. And, you know, some of the Norpax, the Northern Pacific rattlesnake dens are up there, too, pretty active, or they used to be. Oh, okay. But, yeah. Those are some of my favorite rattlesnakes, the Nor- the Norpax. I just, yeah. I love the, uh, I love the grayish green ones with the great big Blotches. ellipsoid spots. Yeah. They're just. Yeah, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. spectacular. And, you know, if you, there's, yeah. I used to have a, a couple of den sites up close to my house where. We'd see like forty of them, you know, coming out oh, of wow. out of the cracks in the mountainside. But we had a, a severe burn of the Caldor fire a couple of years ago, and and uh, uh, you know I went from seeing forty at a time last year. I saw six, and then I've already visited up there, and there were only three. And I noticed that the, the oh cracks were all leaking a lot of water because you know things are going different there with the the lack of vegetation around the the rock cuts. So, uh, oh yeah, a big population yeah. crash, and I think with. With the uh, Northern Pacifics, they're you know moving pretty far away from the den. The den site itself, uh, the plants were pretty much intact, uh, but the areas around it were severely burned in that fire. Okay, yeah, that's something I didn't think about too, because you then you get the rains, the heavy rains that come in, and there's right, which we had this year, and it just inundates the cracks with all sorts of water, you know, because the plants aren't right. holding that moisture anymore anymore. Right. Yeah. And then normal drainages are all changed and exactly. Yeah. Well, I hope those populations come back at some point. I I certainly do as well. You know, um, Hmm. another spot where I could, I could find literally over a hundred rubber boas in maybe, uh, 10 trips looking at this spot, all sitting on the road or on the side of the road. And just gradually those numbers declined over the years. Uh, either to this uh, due to the long-term drought or some fires. They also did some clear cutting in the area. So last year I found in the same area, uh, not even one. <laughs> so that's oh, always my. kind of disconcerting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I mean, I, I guess I hope you guys are in for a cycle of some wet weather for a change. Maybe that'll help turn. Wouldn't it be nice around. to have it normal, you know, just have normal amounts of rainfall, normal temperatures. Yeah. But I guess I'm asking for too much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yeah. Um, yeah, that's another whole, that's another yeah, yeah, it is. right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I have to tell you that this book is inspiring to me and I'm, I'm sure it'll inspire others to, um, to get out there and look for these snakes. And, um, I, it's, it's, you come for the snakes, but you, you stay for West Texas. Is that yeah, a good exactly. way to? Or you return for West Texas. That's exactly, exactly right. There's just nothing like uh, being in West Texas at night, you know. I mean, the sounds, the sights, and all that, you know, it's a great, great feeling. I don't mind it so much during the day either. No, I don't either. Truth no, to tell. In the day, there's all sorts of stuff to do. You know, I enjoy it very much. You can hike around or, you know, look at lizards or, you know, drive around, look at the scenery, take photographs, <laughs> you know, lots of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Go to Big Ben Park. Go to Big Ben Park, which I often yeah. do. Yeah, that place. Yeah, and you know, the the first trip I went out there, I felt you know rather naive. I mean, I by then I think uh, 
John Hollister was making some posts about herping in West Texas and stuff. So I had a few little clues, but we went out to uh, spend a lot of time in the Val Verde County in that trip. And uh, one of the roads that we ended up driving on was the what they call the Pandale Dirt Road. And uh, I'm sure you're, you're familiar with that. And boy, I'm very boy. familiar with that. And that's another spot that I've never actually found one on. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Not for lack of trying. My wife loves that area. That's a, it's a really, it's a beautiful area to, to check out. It is. And I, I really had a couple, had a couple flat tires out there, but um, you have to be prepared for that. Yeah. Uh, but boy, it, it's a beautiful street. And there's just nobody there. Nobody's uh, there. You, you yeah. drive back in there and nobody else is there. You might run into a ranch hand uh, or somebody like that, but that's about it. So. If you want to get out and and uh, be all you know, on your lonesome and and look for snakes, that's a great place to go. It is. That's like you said, it's beautiful. I just uh, need to make sure to take a vehicle with good tires and a yeah. good spare. Yeah, I've had flats <laughs> on that tire as well, <laughs> on that road as well. So yeah, yeah, it's a tire eater. Yeah, definitely. But I think that um, there's just so like we talk about the uh, alternative culture. There, there is the the a good reason why people enjoy it. it, it there's that quest, mysterious snake, a quest for it, beautiful scenery. Um, and if it was easy, all the cool kids would do it. Exactly. Yeah. It's not easy, but it's fun, you know, and it, it is addicting. I mean, it's like, you know, like you say, once you, you go for the snake, but you come back for West Texas. <laughs> <laughs> so how many, how many trips have you made where you were skunked? Do you, I'd say the math. probably 20% of my trips I've been skunked. Oof. Okay. Yeah, I, I call it driving home. I, since I drive, it's it's the drive of shame driving home. <laughs> 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 yeah. I like cool. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 20%. Okay. 20%. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, th- I think this is uh, anybody listening is, you know, oh, I need to do that. You know, that that's a nice tempering remark right there. It's like, oh yeah, but you know, it's it's you're not, not always, always successful. Easy. You know, it's not yeah. always easy at all. I guess the rain has a lot to do with it and timing and all of that too. And luck. I mean it's uh, you know, I'm not I you know, it's a lot of luck <laughs> finding it. You know, being at the right spot spot at the right time. What's your best what's your best or your favorite uh Gray banded king snake story. Well, let me think about that for a minute. Back in 07, it was one of those wonderful years where everybody was finding one. And uh, my friend uh, Barney Tomberlin and my son Hans, they found one on, on 277. And uh, I remember Hans and I were walking along a, a, a road cut on 277 a few days later. And I shined a light and I saw one sprawled across the rock at the base of a cut. And I said, Hans, see that over there? And he got all excited because he knew after we caught that snake, we would go home and he was done with Texas because he had already caught one. So we get up to that snake. <laughs> I pick it up and, you know, he and I do the big belly bump. We're all, all ecstatic and happy. And then I ask, boy, something feels strange. And what it, what it was, it was a DOR. It was a snake that had actually been hit by a car, crawled up on the rock, and, and died. 
And oh. so that was pretty heartbreaking for Hans, especially oh. if he realized he couldn't go home. Anyway, <laughs> a few nights later, uh, my son, Jeffrey, my middle son and I were, were driving. At that time, we could actually shine from cuts so uh, from the car. So we were shining cuts. And we were just on one of those cuts that was like very blah. It was a short, tiny cut, not very long. And Jeffrey said, oh, Dad, gray band. And I, I'm, 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 I'm saying, are you sure? And he said, Dad, I'm sure it's a gray band. And the reason I told Jeffrey or asked him, are you sure, is because for four times before that, he had thought he'd seen a gray band. I said, Jeff, it's a liar snake. Or Jeff, it's a plastic snake. Or Jeff, it's a root. And it wasn't one. But this time he said, Dad, I'm positive. So I look out there, and sure enough, it was a, a gray band king snake, a nice light face sticking out about a third of the way outside of a under from under a rock. And as soon as we got out, the thing pulled in under the rock and Jeffrey would not have it. This, he's pretty much, you know, he's a, into bodybuilding at the time. He was into weightlifting, I should say. So he lifted up that rock and we grabbed that snake. I grabbed the snake and then I'm looking at the snake. I said, boy, this is really strange because it's dark at the back and light at the front. And it took us about a second or two to realize what we had in our hand. We had a pair that were actually breeding in the wild. <laughs> it was a dark face oh, wow. and a light face female. I would say that was the most memorable catch for me. Holy cow. So Wow. <laughs> and then driving back into town, we found an, another one, unfortunately, DOR right next to our, our motel. <laughs> so that was a three-hour oh. turn of night, you know, that you always hear about. Wow. <laughs> I would say that was the most memorable catch, but. You know, they're all actually memorable when you think about it. How about those fake snakes? How about those fake snakes? Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> those things uh, I find very irritating. They're hilarious, but I find them irritating. <laughs> and uh, we've all been had by those, you know, or what people yes, used to love have. to do, too, is take a, take a DOR and stick it on a cut lifelike. And uh, I'm embarrassed to yeah. say that I've done that a couple of times myself, you know. <laughs> Stick one in, yeah, but uh, that's yeah. even worse than, than the uh, the fake snake. Because fake snake, you get out and can tell, but if a DOR, it's kind of hard to tell sometimes that, you know, that's not a live one. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I've been on both ends of that one. Um, I, I'm, I'm reminded of this, you know, occasionally I've come across people have taken just rocks and, you oh yeah, the rock snake. Yeah, you know. I've done that before too. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. And some people, they've taken it to an art form where they buy a rubber snake and then they spend hours meticulously painting beautiful patterns on it that look just phenomenal. I mean, you know, if I caught, if I found something like that, I would, I would almost be as happy with that as I I am with it with a live one. <laughs> to be honest, well, that, with you. that's that's a souvenir from the trip yeah, definitely, right there, isn't yeah, it? definitely one to keep. <laughs> Most of them are not that nice. <laughs> you know, not much thought went into a lot of them. <laughs> Cage always tells me about the time he he thought he had a big or a, a little milk snake, and uh, it was uh, Skittles. Yeah, it was I've red and red and yellow. Like that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> yeah, I forget. I think he. I think he claims he ate the Skittles, but I don't remember if that's true or not. But that's a good story. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to thank you for talking with me. I, um, let's talk about the book a little bit. This is uh, uh, the name of the book, 
and I have it right here. It's just simply the gray-banded kingsnake. Um, and it's put up by uh, Echo Publishing, or is it Echo Universe? It's Echo uh, Publishing, I Echo guess. Echo Publishing, yeah. Yeah. And that's the group there uh, um, out of Bob and uh, Sherry Rodeo, Ashley New Mexico. In, in, uh, Western New Mexico, yeah. Yeah. They do a great job. It's, you know, it was, I mean, I have no complaints. Uh, they were really um, enthusiastic and helpful and you know they really encouraged me uh throughout the process of, of the writing and the publishing well it's a great book and you've had a like you say you've had a great team help you with it but uh i congratulate you and and walter on on this book it's uh i'm gonna when we're done talking i'm gonna look at it again and i'm gonna try to think about when i can get back out there and uh maybe go over six you never know <laughs> Number six could be the lucky trip know. there, Mike. You know? Could be. But I have yeah. a few other things I want to see. I want to see uh, more um, uh, Transpecos rats and Baird's rats and things like that. Those are always nice uh, to see. Yeah. And the milk snake's nice to see. I've only ever seen two of those alive. Oh, so wow. The, the okay. New Mexico milk, yeah. yeah. As they say, the bycatch is spectacular. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, thanks again, Gerald. Appreciate it. Hey, Mike, I've really appreciated this too. It's really nice to actually talk to you in person instead of just on Facebook, you know, (laughs) bonus. Yeah. Big time bonus. (laughs) You know, maybe, maybe our paths will cross in Texas sometime. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) On a road cut somewhere. That would be great. That would be wonderful. All right. Thanks again. Thank you. Hey there, it's me again. I hope you enjoyed the show. And after talking with Gerald, I am ready to jump in the car and head to West Texas again. I mean, it's only an 18-hour drive from my house. I can always stop at the Walmart in Chickasaw, Oklahoma and take a nap. Piece of cake. I love that place and it's been too long since I've been out there. Maybe my luck will change on my next visit. So if you're interested in a copy of Gerald and Walter's book... You can get it directly from Eco Publishing at ecouniverse.com, and that's E-C-O Universe. And as always, I'll have a link in the show notes. And thanks for listening, folks. That's it for episode 81. I want to thank Gerald Merker. It was so much fun to talk with you about Alterna and West Texas and all the things. And thanks again to Gerald as well for supporting the show. And I want to say thanks to all of the So Much Pingle patrons who keep the show rolling on into the future. And if you would like to kick in a few bucks to help support the, the show, it's easy to do and it costs about as much as a cup of delicious coffee. Just go to patreon.com slash so much pingle and so much pingle is all one word. And you can also make one-time contributions via PayPal or Venmo. Just drop me an email to somuchpingle at gmail.com for more details. And don't forget that you can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at somuchpingle.com. And you can also join the So Much Pingle Facebook group to follow the show and interact with me and some of my guests. And I say it every time, but I do like hearing from folks. I like to hear your thoughts and your opinions. 
your guest suggestions, and whatever you got. You can email me at so muchpingle at gmail.com, and so muchpingle is all one word. Also, please note that I am on Instagram and Mastodon now under the So Much Pingle handle. And until we meet again, please take good care of yourselves, and don't forget to hurt better.